Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and Julie, we're back. It is June the 15th, and we have a fun show for these guys today. We're going to pick up where we left off yesterday, and I'm going to um, give you guys a slight warning. If you hear any sort of uh, things that sound like crunching noises in the background June. or you know dog noises, it's because Max, our French bulldog, is in our office with us today having a chew bone. Um, he has not quite got, gotten over the fact that Zoe is no longer homeschooled because of COVID and, you know, Zoe's going to summer camp. So she's not home during the day for him to hang out with and pester while she's on uh, being homeschooled. So he's a little depressed. So we decided to keep him in the office with us. Yes. More <laughs> attention for Max. But there could be crunching noises. There could be crunching noises. So. He devours his, what is that, yak milk bone or something? I don't even know. <laughs> Anyway, so um, Julie, I was reading some articles. I read probably four or five articles and listened to, I bet you since yesterday, I listened to at least three or four podcasts Mm -hmm. that are all talking about inflation. Yes. Because I'm really trying to wrap my mind around it, right? Mm -hmm. I I think conceptually I understand it, Mm -hmm. but I don't understand it from a perspective of what it's actually like to live in in a time when there's real kind of noticeable inflation. Yes. Well, I don't know what it's like to be, I have no way of understanding what it will feel like when prices on virtually everything start to rapidly rise mm-hmm. um, with, and because, so we've lived in times before where there's been uh, things, categories that have increased in cost, yes. um, but not everything universally. Mm-hmm. And even, and who knows? I mean, even, so you got your, you know, some, some like Peter Schiff, right? He's our neighbor here in Puerto Rico. And he talks about in his podcast, that his prediction is is that um, inflation is going to rise for fifteen a total of fifteen percent this year, and he's not trusting the numbers that are being reported by the government, and he thinks by another another six uh, percent um, the following year. So he thinks basically your total increase of cost over the beginning of this year to say for example the end of the following year is going to be over twenty percent, and that's on pretty much everything. Now if I'm misquoting Peter, forgive me. Some of you guys like listening to his podcast as well. So the moral of the story that he did say, which I really appreciated him um, being very drilled down about was, is there is not going to be any deflationary cycle following the inflation. So, and this is what we've been telling you guys on the podcast since the beginning of this year, at least. Uh, so once the prices rise, once house, house prices inflate, for example, you're not going to, there's not going to be a, uh, there's not going to be a, a time when they, all of a sudden they deflate. And a lot of people in the real estate industry who are still shell-shocked, and I think to some extent, Julie and I included in that, mm-hmm. from the big deflationary cycle, deflationary cycle that happened back in 2000, 2000, 2007 through 2009, are mentally and emotionally conditioned to believe that that's what's going to happen again, because, you know, we don't need to talk about the, sim- well, that's, that's People like, look for similarities, and they think that. Let's not get in. Happens. Let's not get into the semantics of what's different now yep. or different yep. because yep. we did a whole series of podcasts on yes. that two weeks ago. And by the way, listen to our past podcasts and why we're not in a real estate bubble. 
Moral of the story is, is that it's very likely that there is not going to be a deflationary cycle in the near future. And so what you're experiencing now is the start of what's going to be a lot of inflating costs or rising appreciation, whatever word you want to use in real estate, but also in everything else. All right, Julie, you got to, Max has got to be, there you go. <laughs> taking it too far. Yes. Um, so well, that, in other words, prices are going to go up and then they're going to stay up. Right. Prices are going to go up and then they're going to stay up and that's going to be the new norm. And it's not just going to be in real estate. It's no. going to be on everything. So yes. when you see prices rise on real estate and okay, you're feeling real estate rich, but, and, and what happens if price, prices rise on everything else? What if your gallon of gasoline goes up? What if your milk goes up, your eggs go up? What if your cost of your French bulldog dog treats go up, right? What if everything is going up in, at the same essential percent as that a gain in real estate value? There's no real, you may have increased your net worth because your house has increased, but your benefit of having that increased net worth isn't really experienced because everything else has increased um, uh, proportionately at the same time. Right. And because you haven't actually cashed out that increase unless you refinanced it out and, you know, right. Um, so you kind of have to watch that. Now I look at this another way, which is it's a blessing to be in real estate because your income also is going up because you are a commission-based salesperson and that's better than somebody. Who right. I think Max wants to Julie, be the star I get, of the I get, show. I give up on Max. He oh, wants to be on the, yeah. So we have to, Turn we're around. sorry, Max, you can't come to the office while we're doing a podcast. We tried. So that's what's kind of interesting is all these different shows I've been listening to and articles I've been reading. And I'm trying, and a lot of these economists are basically politically motivated. So you've got to kind of sort of sift and sort to really form your own, um, your own opinion on all of this. But it, the bottom line is, is that what you're experiencing now in housing is going to, you're going to start experiencing it in everything that you buy. So get ready. And to Julie's point that she just made, the fact is, is that we are blessed to be in the real estate industry because like where it hurts people when there's an inflationary cycle is if things start to, let's say, for example, you're on a, you have a salary and you're getting paid $50,000 a year. And let's say you are getting, you're getting $4,000 a month. And let's say you're able to save maybe $500 a month after you've paid your housing costs, your car costs, your fuel costs, your electricity, your cable bill, your groceries, all the things you still have $500 left over. So, you know, $500 you're saving basically, t you know, basically 10% per year of your income. You're not doing too bad, right? That's a good story for most Americans. But what if all of a sudden all your, uh, your, your, your essentially mo monthly fixed costs, things you can't just decide no longer to have, electricity, for example, fuel, for example, um, what if property taxes, for example, what if all of those expenses start to increase? So now that you before had that little cushion of the 10% you were saving every month off your, you know, 50,000, you know, $4,000 a month. But what if you no longer have that? What if all of a sudden now the actual costs that you have to just maintain the lifestyle that you've had, and lifestyle is sort of this overused word, but let's just say maintain your family, maintain your household. What if all of a sudden that the amount of money you're getting paid in salary isn't enough to cover all the immediate urgent costs that you have? Um, that's going to be a real game changer for a lot of people. That's where inflation becomes something that's truly painful for most people unless you have wage inflation. So, or in, in other words, until people's wages and, and their income start to catch up with the actual cost of things. The time between, and that does eventually happen. So the time between when uh, people start suffering from or experiencing the true negative ramifications of inflation, which is in essence like a hidden tax. And when their wages catch up, 
there are some people whose wages will never catch up because those businesses won't be relevant anymore. But other people, it might be a year or two years. So there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering that happens before. And again, not all industries are going to be elastic enough um, and to be able to, because with inflation, rising costs, there might be a decreasing demand. You guys can see how there's all these uncertainties in an inflationary cycle. It's easy for us to sort of think, well, great, my house went up and I feel richer. Well, it is a psychological benefit to you. But again, we have to be thinking big picture of all the harmful things that are just around the corner for the rest of the, rest of the economy. So what should you be doing with this information? You need to be thinking bigger than you're thinking now so you can understand not just what's going to happen this month and next month, but what's going to happen six months from now. And one of the main things you have to do is you have to get really good at being a listing agent. Uh, and again, we're not going to we're not anticipating any sort of deflationary cycle or bursting of a housing bubble or all these other things that people are saying just to essentially grab your attention. That's not going to happen. But you, your number one, your imperative, your number one job, the number one mission, your professional life should be becoming a a, a listing agent. If you're on the buyer's agent side of things during a cycle like this, you're going to suffer even more than you already are now. And buyer's agents right now have absolutely been suffering for a long period of time. It's just going to get worse. So if you have not yet, if you're looking for an excuse to become a listing agent, if you're looking for an excuse to finally break the bonds of being you know, addicted to essentially the transactional income from being a buyer's agent, you need to realize that there is this in, it's this inevitable, um, hard, challenging time ahead in our economy, and you have been warned, and hopefully you're a regular podcast listener, so you've been warned for a long time, you're already preparing. If, you've, if you're hearing Julie and I for the first time today, I'm telling you right now, more than ever, if you're not on your way to becoming a powerful listing agent, you might not be in the business 12 or 24 months from now, and there might not be a job they're waiting for you to take. Now, again, these are sort of worst case scenarios, but I'm an old boy scout and my professional, you know, in my professional opinion, I'd rather be prepared for the worst and hope for the best than not being prepared for any sort of things at all. So headwinds are in front of us. We just all have to basically put our business heads on and we have to be focusing on becoming listing agents. That is what we do. We focus on helping you guys uh, get out of the buyer agent treadmill and move towards creating a very profitable business. And our business model that we uh, coach you guys towards works in any economy, any price range, any sort of market situation, new construction, resale homes, you know, double wides in Alabama or wherever uh, to, you know, luxury penthouses in Manhattan. We have coaching clients. Our system has been tested in every market here. I want you guys to seriously consider joining our coaching program today. Text the word success. S-U-C-C-E-S-S -S to 47372. Text the word SUCCESS to 47372. And we'll text you back a link and you can explore how you can join our coaching program for as little as $100. It's actually $100.18 a month. So do text the word SUCCESS to 47372. And you can join our premier coaching program, which we will teach you how to become a listing agent for as little as $100 per month. All right, Julie. So we started yesterday yes. talking about and the topic was don't assume. Indeed, don't assume. So if you missed the first, uh, I think, four points, then get caught up with yesterday's podcast. Starting with point number five, don't assume that they, in this case, buyers, can actually close the appraisal gap. So many transactions are falling apart because buyers were willing to do what it took and would, would say, yeah, we'll make up the difference in cash with the appraisal gap if that's what happens. 
and the agent either didn't put a cap to it or they did, but they didn't check that the buyer could actually hack it and they all wanted to believe it would only be off by five grand. It comes in at 25 grand off. Buyer can't handle it. They back out. They lose their earnest money. They get pissed at their agent. The listing agent wants to, you know, the seller wants to sue everybody because after all, the buyer agreed to it in the contract, but couldn't actually follow through. Now, I see this not from not so much from the the uh, coaching calls from our agents because we've coached them to, to at least put a cap on it or not do it if your buyer can't handle it. But I also read mortgage lender blogs and things like that. And I see what they're complaining about. And that's one of the biggest things that they say is killing deals right now. Well, it's also kind of scary, too, because sure. I had a I'm trying to remember which coaching client it was. I don't remember their name. It was I do remember it was a man. Anyway, he was stuck in a situation where his it was a sophisticated buyer buying an expensive property, and this expensive buyer, this you know wealthy buyer, so they could afford whatever the overage was, mm -hmm. uh, was playing hardball in a competitive offer, mm -hmm. and they put in that uh, deal where they'll pay a certain amount over the highest uh, verified offer escalation clause. But yeah. they didn't put anything in the contract about how the offer was to be verified. Mm -hmm. So what happened was the seller, equally as sophisticated and wealthy, figured, <laughs> well, what the hell, my highest verified verified offer is now a million dollars over. So then they send, well, the list price was 3 million and now we got a million offer over. So now you're obligated to pay, you know, 1.1 million over our original list wow. price. And the buyer's agent did not actually write into the contract how the seller or the seller's agent was going to prove that they had received another verified offer. And so that buyer was then obligated to pay that much over, even though it, as the smoke wow. cleared, it did seem that the seller and the seller's agent may have out, uh, outplayed and took advantage mm -hmm. of the lack of clarity and the offer from the buyer's agent. And that's with a buyer who could handle it and yeah. experience across the board. That was a mistake. So don't assume, right? And and so one of the things that we coach our coaching clients You know the funny is, part though? Yeah. I can tell you the funny part. What? Buyer didn't give a rat's ass. They, they just paid care. it anyway. Well, <laughs> but, but see, here's the thing. They're that's glad they lucky. They were glad they had the house. That's right. And that's not going to happen every time because that was an upper end deal with sophisticated buyers that had the cash to spend. That's not going to happen on somebody that's stretching to make nope. 425 and that extra five grand killed the deal. Right. So you have to be careful and you have to really know your client. We coach everybody to do what the contract says, but that also assumes that your contract is strong and you know what you're doing. It's just for the sake of complexity and making things more complicated. Sure. Why <laughs> right? not? Why not? Right. <laughs> so there was, there is on the normal price ranges when they're stuck in an off a situation where they have to be competitive and offer over asking mm -hmm. because a smart listing agent is pricing a house so that they will receive multiple offers. Yeah. Even an overpriced house in this crazy market is receiving multiple offers. Indeed. So one of the angles that we coach some of our agents to do, and again, we're not brokers, we're not lawyers, we're not any way, we're just your friendly real estate coaches. But what, usually friendly, but what, right. one of the things we teach them to do is suggest to the seller, so you're representing the buyer, you suggest to the seller that the seller, like say for example, let's make this a normal run, realistically, a $400,000 house. Well, the buyer will pay four fifty, let's say, but the seller is going to give the the buyer a second mortgage in the amount of the fifty grand in order to accept their offer. So, in other words, the financed amount is actually going to be four hundred thousand, of which they say the down payment. But then the set there's going to be a second mortgage that's paid to the seller, and it is going to be a lien against the mortgage that where now the buyer has to pay not only the first mortgage, but a second mortgage. And the second mortgage represents the amount that they had to pay over to get the house together. Yes. And that even that's not going to fly in every case because- Or that, every state. Right. Because that second mortgage also on a weaker borrower may wreck their ratios and a lender is right. going to put the kibosh on that. Right. That's a solution, but that's not necessarily a go-to every time because you have to know what you're doing. Talk to your lender, talk to the buyer, know what they're made of. So the reason that it would work and it does work mm -hmm. is because the subject price would be 
uh, it would be, I forget how you word the contract, but in this state, this agent was in, what it was legal. But in essence, the 400, the, the second mortgage is a secondary lien. Obviously, it's subordinate to the primary yes. lien. And so the first mortgage company didn't care about the secondary lien because the buyer was putting down 20% on the first mortgage. Yeah. So they didn't care about the, it was hardly even any money, like 800 sure. bucks or 700 bucks for the second mortgage. Yeah. So they didn't care. And the seller was happy. So right. everything seller, came together. Right. And, this, and the yeah. interest rate the seller was able to charge mm-hmm. was like uh, 7%. And the well, average, so who wouldn't take that, right? Right. And the, amortiza- the amortization was over uh, 15 years. So the and buyer it, can handle it. Right. And it was yeah. free money for the seller. I know. It's creativity, guys. You got to be studying this stuff. So that's why, you know, it sounds dorky to always recommend, you know, you need to be taking your contracts class and they don't teach all the complicated stuff, but they do teach you to, to actually write something that at Julie, least gets looked there's at. there's not an MLS on the face of the earth that would teach what we just said. Probably not. Yeah. So the reality of it is, is that. That's why we have coaching. That's why we have coaching. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So that was a whole big uh, bunch of don't assume, right? So, okay. <laughs> Number six, don't assume that the seller wants a quick closing. Now, this was an actual case from actual coaching clients. And they, they came to coaching. They said, you know, I, I don't know why I lost this. We wrote for massively over. We did the appraisal gap thing. We waived all contingencies, you know, appraisal, finance, everything. We had good earnest money. And we said we we're going to be able to close in two weeks. Why did we lose it? And I said, why don't we find out why you lost it? Go ask what what was the difference between what you wrote and what won. And the listing agent said, you wrote a great strong contract in a normal world, but my seller doesn't want to close in two weeks. But they after that they asked that after they lost the deal. After they lost it. Right. And so that's now, so that was the mistake. They assumed that everybody wants to close quickly. Okay. Now this was kind of a rookie mistake because a lot of people now know that sellers want leasebacks. They want contingent on finding sellers suitable housing and all that kind of stuff. But the point is that you guys have to remember to read the agent to agent comments when they're there. They're not always there, but also communicate with the listing agents. Do what it takes to find them and get those answers and don't make these assumptions. So here's the sticking point on this. It depending on the type of mortgage and the yep. you know all the rest of it, this the buyer might not be able to actually give the seller a lease back for a long period of time as part of the contract. Yes. That would be something that would happen after the deal closes. Right. And there's, there's turns and twists to this as well. So most lenders want buyers to have possession within 60 days of closing. So what if the seller wants 90 days? Well, so you write a longer closing time and then you have 60 days after that and you can still make that happen. So yes, you can see, you know, you can see the challenge of new, newer agents, inexperienced agents, agents that think they've got it all figured out, but haven't learned all of this. You know, this is more advanced negotiating. It really is. It's funny with that last point too. And you and I talked about this yesterday or the day Mm -hmm. before. The reality of it is, is money is one of the usually top three to five things that people are considering, which which sellers when, when, you know, thinking about what offer they're going to accept. But really, even if they say money, it's always money's never won. It's unless they're like investors. It's always going to be the convenience of, yes. to them and their families. That's the number one yeah. thing that's going to motivate somebody to accept or reject an offer is the level of inconvenience that your offer represents. And it's incredibly important that you understand that and explain that to your buyers. And the buyers are going to be, you know, in some cases, and I totally understand. You remember Julie and I sold real estate for a long time. They're going to be, they're going to have their needs and their wants too, but their needs and their wants are going to have to be subordinate to whatever the seller's needs and wants are, or they ain't getting a house. That's why it's called a seller's market. That's right. In other times, there have been buyer's markets. And in the future, there may be a buyer's market where the buyers have control because 
There are more listings than buyers, but not now. Can I ask you a funny question? Sure. So how many of the agents listening to us right now, number mm-hmm. one, listen to daily podcasts in at least the United States, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of downloads every single day. Yeah. How many of the guys listening, gals listening to us right now have actually ever sold real estate in a buyer's market? Almost none of them. I would bet four. Yeah, four total. Total four. And Almost none of them. Count, have you th- counting us and our coaches? No. But haven't you thought about um, that? I have thought thought about that. They have no I, idea what I, you're talking about. I know, and it, it sounds strange. It's like a different world to even try and consider. They they can't even really consider it. Yeah. You know, but so and they that, won't. They won't have to. That's why sometimes we say, well, this applies to this type of market. You know, so. But in the um, foreseeable yeah. future, they you these know, guys there might be said, little you know streets or little micro markets that it might be buyers markets, but. You know, many of you guys cannot imagine what it's what it's <laughs> like to basically list a house and have it be for sale for a year or two oh, they years. Have panic attacks if it's three weeks, right? Or three years. You don't know what it's like to essentially have the entire real estate rack be uh, rack. You see what I mean? The higher, entire real estate market be like the for sale rack where everything's like fifty percent off, yeah. and still nobody wants to sift through the stuff that's on sale. That's what the market was like back after the real estate crash, until it wasn't, and yes. then it swung back hard towards the seller's market. I think the record holder is a past coaching client who was in White Plains, New York. She had a listing for not one, oh, not two, this. not five, but seven years. Yep. You could have a seven-year-old child by the time it took to sell this thing, right? <laughs> okay. It started at $2 million. It had huge property taxes, just like massive, and there was nothing you could do to negotiate them away. She had tried. Okay, so every winter they would take it off because it was untraversable. The, the driveway would be snowed in. Then they put it back in the spring. They try again, okay? Ends up doing a series of price adjustments, not reductions, okay? Uh, repositioning on the market. Repositioning on the market right. and ends up selling for half. It sold for a million, okay? But it took her seven years to get there. Yep. And I say kudos to her for keeping the relationship alive. The The object, the joke then was the object is to be the listing agent when it actually sells. Well, Different times, right? You're jumping on the punchline, yeah. so let's tell the sure. whole joke, right? So, this, Julie, <laughs> yes. can I tell you the secret to being a listing agent? Sure, what is it? What is it? It's a secret. Oh, you can't tell anyone else. It's a what super secret. What is it? Ready? I'm ready. Have the listing when it sells. I mean, <laughs> exactly. that was that's the joke in the buyer's market because the listing is going to go through so many different agents before it, it sells. It would expire three, four, five times. Totally. Sometimes, you know. And, and, and by the way, when Julie and I sold real estate, that was our market. And so if you do, if you were not aggressive with not just pricing it right, but then going after, you guys think right now is tough. Let me tell you what's tough. When you have a bunch of you know, 20, 30 listings and you have to reposition them, lower the price every two weeks or 10 showings. We used to have to do those calls every Friday. And let me tell you, we still have PTSD from that. Absolutely. You guys think it's hard now, you know, when, when oh my gosh, it didn't sell after two open houses. Yeah. Imagine, you know, having to have a relationship with that seller. And sellers having to bring checks to closing just to get rid of the house. Yeah. So stop that, your whining. That was a fairly <laughs> normal thing. Yeah. And like you would have to tell a seller, not what their net proceeds were, but the amount of money they had to bring to the closing just to, I got, you, does that even register? Which sometimes was strangely equal to your commission, which is a whole other conversation. Right. I mean, we'd list houses. Tough, it, it, it was It was fairly normal. You'd list a house for 250 grand or 350 grand. And the people had been there for three or four years and they were losing not only their down payment, but they were essentially the amount of money. They would be sometimes negative on the mortgage or negative on the payoff and they'd have to bring a check to closing. And let me tell you, as Julie just said, when they're going over, it used to be called the HUD, when they're going over the HUD showing all the expenses and they saw that, you know, your commission was going to be $10,000 and they're bringing $8,000 to closing. Mm -hmm. That is a really uncomfortable situation. You had to be really good at your scripts and your objection handlers and making everyone realize that you weren't the evil bastard that- Or getting your title girl. 
girl to do it for you. <laughs> exactly. I'm your title girl. Get yeah. the bad news. But yeah. I mean, this this is the so when you guys this this all goes back to the fact that this market, even though it's really really hard on buyers agents, it's incredibly good for listing agents. So yes. if you're not becoming incredibly a listing good. agent. Yeah, if you're not becoming a listing agent and pivoting all your, but if you're worried about technology companies, if you're worrying about lead buying companies, if you're worrying about, you know, the iBuyers, if you're worrying about all that, it's because you're on the wrong side of the transaction. You pivot it's to true. being on the listing side of the transaction and what worries do you really have? You know, it's so much easier. It's so much more professional. That's what we specialize in. That's what our focus is. We obviously train you guys how to work with buyers, work with sellers, scale up your real estate business. We teach you all the things that you need to know to have the big, very large, profitable business. You can read our book, Harris Rules. It's available at every major bookseller. But it, you all should definitely be joining our premier coaching program right now. Just text the word SUCCESS, S-U-C-C-E-S-S, -S, to 47372. And when you do, we'll text you back a link. You click the link. You then read about the Premier Coaching program, and you can join Premier Coaching pro, uh, Premier Coaching for around 100 bucks a month. See, that's better than saying $100.18. It is. So for around 100 bucks a month. <laughs> so go ahead and text the word SUCCESS to 47372. Next point, Mrs. Yes, Harris. Well, and you know one of the biggest issues, <laughs> nice problem to have, that our coaching clients are having right now is that they have the ones that have achieved their magic number. We've done shows about that. It's in the Harris Rules. Um, that have achieved that magic number of listings and learned how to sell them and lather, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. They have so much pending right now that they're all scrambling to identify transaction coordinators and get really good people to help them so that they continue to lather, rinse, repeat at a higher level than they thought they'd be able to at the beginning of the year. Magic number is the number of listings you need at all times to basically on average have on average a certain the, the desired number sell to meet or exceed all your financial obligations, um, your hopes, your wants, and your have-tos. That is what the magic number is. For most of you in this market, given the average sale price in the country right now is like 375. If you had probably most of you would be right as rain if you had three listings at all times and you had at least one sell per month and you'd be making 120,000 a year. Now, you think it's more complicated than that? You're absolutely incorrectly 100% wrong. It's that simple. And yet, how many of you are wasting time worrying about your brand, social networking, social media? You're worrying about all the wrong things. Focus on being a listing agent. Focus on having three listings at all times. That's what we teach you how to do. These listings that we're going to teach you how to go after, the leads cost you nothing. Get that? Nothing. They do require you make effort. And then when you get up to your magic number of listings, you're going to have on average a certain number they're going to sell per month. If it's three, realistically in this market, all three will sell. But if it's only one and it's $10,000 when that thing sells, you're making $120,000 a year. You guys get it? It is that simple. It is that simple. Our clients live it. Okay. Yep. So uh, next we have point number seven. And this, you know, everything we just said is true. Very competitive, tough on the buyer's agents. But don't always assume that there are other offers. NAR reports that 38% of transactions do have multiple offers. It's not 100%. And so one of the strategies that our clients use is to look at back on the market listings, not just active listings, because those back on the market ones can slip past your eyeballs. You know, when you looked this morning and there wasn't anything to show your buyers, not that you're going to only use the MLS. We've done podcasts on that too, <laughs> but you know, look for back on the market and look for things that actually do have longer days on the market. It's kind of like, you know, a billboard that you notice the first time on the freeway and then two or three times later, you don't even notice it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are listings sometimes that hit the market and you know, maybe they go pending and then it falls apart. It comes back and you didn't notice it. You got me thinking about something. Sure. So uh, the end of this month, mm -hmm. going into the following month, yes. is a national holiday. Mm -hmm. There will be, and, and listen, this is a special news alert for all of you. 
One of the best ways for you to uh, get an advantage on the market is by working with expired listings. There, it, there's only a handful of times per year when you sort of have this perfect you know, opportunity where there's a end of the month and the beginning of the month. So we have the end of June, beginning of July, where it also falls over a holiday. Now, the reason this is extra special is because most agents and brokers set their listings to expire at the end of the month or the beginning of the month. Why? I don't know. And then when you have that be on a holiday, everybody's home, nobody's working, everybody's in a good mood. When you actually do the real work of real estate, when you communicate with these people, even if you have no previous relationship with them, you're going to find a few things. One, they're not they're going to be receptive to your call. Two, they probably didn't know their listing expired because their listing agent is out at the beach having hot dogs. So in other words, the listing yeah. agent didn't tell them their listing was about to expire. And you're you are working when other people aren't working, but it you will get the advantage that other people won't get because you're going to be able to directly communicate with people. The hardest thing with doing the proactive lead generation is getting somebody on the phone or getting somebody to directly communicate with you. So there's these golden times of the year where coming up on one of them. So if you're looking for a how to get a jump on the rest of the year for the next six months, go hunting expires the end of this month into the next month, especially and then every day after that. Um, and then call the old expires, go back a year, go back mm -hmm. two years. And, but especially focus on the ones that are expiring the end of this month, beginning of the following month. Indeed, it is a gold mine. And, oh, you know, there's only 12 of them. Well, how many do you need to be happy? Right? Exactly. <laughs> so don't complain about that. And if you look and there's not that many, expand geographically. And as Tim said, go back in time as well. Okay, so next we have point number eight. Do not assume that the listing agent is a jerk. You guys are terrible all over online complaining about each other. Oh, the listing agent didn't call me right back. Oh, they don't text me right back. You've got to be proactive. You've got to put it in your control, but don't don't cop an attitude and expect them to call you back. That's just bad, bad professional behavior. And don't ever say anything bad about anybody online. It will haunt you. It will haunt you. Don't complain about, even if you have a right to complain and feel justified in complaining, never say anything about anybody online because you do not know how that's going to be used against you when people are forming opinions about you in the future, especially people that are considering doing business with you as in your future yeah. real estate clients. Yeah, and you're competing and they look up you and the other guy and they see you complaining all up and down. I'm, I promise you guys, it'll never work to your benefit complaining about anybody online. That will stay with you like a sort of Damocles the rest of your life. Point number nine, don't yes. assume first time FHA or VI buyers can't get a house right now. What do you mean on that point, Jules? Okay, so it is true that uh, there's a lot of misinformation about VA buyers, especially. All, all three of those, but especially VA because... Just because a veteran is using a VA loan does not mean that they only qualify for a VA loan. It's because they earned those benefits. That's and right. And you really should respect that. And a lot of the, the educated agents do. And many times that borrower will actually be stronger than somebody who's, you know, throwing everything at the wall to see that sticks and actually can't, you know, hack it. So, uh, and I do see a lot of reporting, especially on the mortgage sites, that FHA and VA buyers are getting themselves in contract. It sometimes takes many more offers, but it is possible. Same thing with conventional buyers. You know, it comes down to have doing things like having the lender call the listing agent and say, yes, they're putting 5% down, but their credit score is 812, you know, versus whatever else you're looking at. And by the way, I have full loan commitment versus I'll, everything else you're looking at. I would suggest that the reason a lot of agents fail with their government loans, their FHA, VA loans, yeah. is because all they're doing is going to the MLS. 
Sure. And what they need to do is listen to the podcast that we did yeah. a couple weeks ago where we told you guys how to find listings that are not in the MOS. And you need to start being proactive, actually going after prospective buyers or sellers for your buyers. But also the same goes, by the way, when you're making those phone calls, what you're actually doing is you're also prospecting for a potential seller and you now can start becoming a listing agent. See what I just did? I tricked you. That's right. <laughs> you wound it all up together and That's you turned right. them into listing agents. Yes, but you know, don't don't assume that they can't hack it because there's a lot more to the picture. And I like the fact that you did point out the fact that it's being uh, uh, 100% disrespectful, especially, frankly, to the VAs. Absolutely. To the veterans who are, who are purchasing. Yeah, they earned it. So They earned know. it and respect that. And if you're in a military town... Um, you know, you're not going to have you're not going to have necessarily the same struggles with the actual sellers who are also veterans, but you might have some misunderstandings on behalf of the listing agents. Yes. So you're going to have to work through that. Some of these listing agents are new, maybe got the listing because they just knew some they knew them from church or whatever, so they have no real real estate background. And some agent whispered in their ear, try to get an all cash mm -hmm. buyer from an investor versus a VA. You're going to have to educate oftentimes that uh, uneducated. Uh, you know, listing agent on why you, they should be accepting your offer. And I'll tell you something more. When a veteran sees an offer coming in from another veteran, that actually will give that uh, veteran buyer an advantage. Absolutely. So, you know, you have to be a little bit more aggressive sometimes when you're dealing with people that are frankly ignorant. Well, that's true. I joke and call that the undisclosed dual agency where you're doing both sides of the right. deal, but only making half the commission. Well, you, that's not you know? bad, though. It's, I mean, it's not an undisclosed dual agency. I'm She's joking. just saying where you're I'm essentially having to work. You feel like you're doing their job. You're, you are doing their job because yeah. they don't have the skill set. That's right. And, you know, you point out, especially in veteran-rich towns, um, I think about like uh, around Northern Virginia, one of our coaching clients is friends with a builder who has special VA deals. Yep. So there are areas, especially if you're in a military town, that you know you just have to know about where those deals are. Remember Marsha Sells in Texas? Yeah, that's her thing. Yeah, she sold hundreds of homes. She still, she still is, yeah. I think it was uh, Fort Hood, I think, I Army think Base. Right. Yeah. yeah, and she would sell. Yeah, she was a massive agent yeah, there. Yeah, that's her thing. And so here's the thing. You take good care of veterans. You don't think they're going to refer all of their veteran buddies to you? Of course they are. Do yep. a good job, okay? All right, so that's an easy one to fix. Number 10, don't assume the market will be full of distressed property when you wake up any day now. Currently, it's less than, guess what? 1%. That's nothing. Yep. That's just somebody making a mistake and over-refinancing or losing <laughs> their job and not, you know, getting re-employed. It's less than 1%. You know, it is fascinating. Even in a crazy seller's market like yeah. this, there are still foreclosures. There are some random ones. Yep. I hear about it from coaching clients from time to time. Um, but they're always really circumstantial. I mean, in mm -hmm. any market, you're going to have some of that. But you have even less because there's been such a buildup of equity. People can actually get out of their house without being distressed. That's, again, that goes back to the fact that people – look, if you have – the reason – one of the reasons there's not going to be a, any sort of bubble bursting – is because assuming the inflation hawks are predicting and what they're predicting is correct, mm -hmm. that prices inflate by, say, 20% between the beginning of this year and the end of next year. And let's say that seller also had to put down 20% on that $400,000 house. That mark, that house would have to go down, what, effectively 40% in order for the house to actually, uh, where they're going to be at par in that mortgage. And the probability of that happening is about zero. Exactly. So realistically, guys, stop waiting for the bubble to burst. There is no bubble. And you got to be really suspicious of anyone that t is telling you they're is going to be because in this inflationary cycle we're going to experience things once in a lifetime phenomena that we've never experienced before and these cycles can last years by the way this isn't going to be something that'll come and go i know the fed is saying it's transitory inflation no. i'm not really sure what that means <laughs> i don't know it just sounds better than regular inflation i guess yeah uh, but there is no real comparable time to this you can't say this is just like that and again you pointed out 
We did an entire week of podcasts that was extremely specific why point number 10 is true. Don't assume the market's just going to become all distressed. It's so, so far away from that. You can't be believing that. Well, you know, oddly enough, Julie, yeah. that doesn't sound like a mindset point, but it's a mindset point because we, I've, uh, when we were doing a lot of um, clubhouses, mm-hmm. there's agents who would ask the question, well, I'm worried about the bubble bursting. And so I don't feel comfortable selling houses to my buyers, which in my opinion, it's kind of a you know bullshit thing mm-hmm. yeah. because it's ultimately they're asking you to sell them a house and somehow you're overlaying what their wishes and desires are for you with your own you know fears and concerns. That's really not valid. That's not how a professional acts. But if you want to essentially rationalize with actual factual stuff, explore it yourself. Look at the fact that if you don't help that buyer buy a house right now, you're going to most likely price them out of a house for the foreseeable future, and that can be years. When Julie and I started selling real estate in the 90s, there were people who were in their 40s and 50s buying their first house because in the late 70s, there was an inflationary cycle that knocked a lot of them out of the market. And a lot of them basically were barely able to keep up with rent and start saving money for down payments. And then they were finally able to buy their first houses. Mm -hmm. And so we've all been spoiled by this crazy market we've been experiencing since roughly 2009, 2010. It's not normal. But Guess what? There's a good, it's going to be essentially that market amplified for the foreseeable future. Again, I cannot stress this enough. If you are wanting to make the most of what's happening in the market now and what will be happening in the market, you have to become a listing agent. There are no you don't have to pass through the fires of Modor before you're allowed to become a listing agent. You don't have to sell a certain number of houses to buyers. You don't have to sell a bunch of houses to buyers and wait for them to put the houses back for sale and you can list those houses. You don't have to do any of that crap. You can actually become a listing agent the second you get your real estate license. And for those of you who've been in the business for a long time, as a lot of our coaching clients have, you know what I'm saying is true. You're seeing the buyer side of the transaction is becoming more and more frustrated uh, and, and hard to do. There's an old saying, which is conflict with a lot of how people are, you know, conventional thought. There's a difference between quitting and quitting while you're ahead. There's that. But here's the one that I I often like to say, to, you know, in our own business, because it's fascinating. Um you know, at, when the going gets tough, the smart leave. And I know that's a counter to what normal people think, but it's also smart. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. When the things get really hard, when it, you're getting less results with amplified effort, if you're having to work two or three times as hard and you're getting less results than you were before in the past, when the going gets tough, the smart leave. What most agents, humans do, is they stay drilled down. I am not going to give up. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to go down to the ship. Bop, 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 bop. That's not how a business person thinks. A business person is going to realize that we're, if they're not achieving financial goals, the thing is not to keep on pouring more fuel of your life energy and money onto the, onto the you know, essentially trying to make that particular idea or ideas work. It's to say, this is not working. This is not the result I'm getting. It's not because I'm a failure. It's because the business model that I was emulating is a failure. And that's the hard part for most agents and brokerages and business people in general. They're not willing to accept the fact that even though they may have made the right set of decisions five or 10 years ago when they essentially were forming this business model they're following now, and maybe talking about teams or buying leads even, but now when all the rules start to change, those people don't pivot and start doing something different. They just say, damn it, I'm gonna make it work. I'm going to suffer lower margins. I'm going to spend more money. I'm going to hire more buyer's agents. I'm just going to double down on dumb, basically. And they do that year after year after year after year. And then there's a slowdown in their business. And then they burn through all their personal savings and in their bankruptcy. And it's well, then they have to recreate 
when they have nothing. Right. So there's a difference between quitting and quitting while you're ahead. And there's a, a you know, the, when the going gets tough, the smart leave. A lot of you are suffering needlessly because you haven't accepted the fact that you need to, in essence, leave. You need to change your business model. You need to pivot in the direction where the market is going to be. Intuitively, you know what I'm saying is true. So you've got to ask yourself, if you intuitively know what I'm saying is true, then why is it, why is it that you're resisting? And, you know, I get it. I understand why, because it's hard to change. It's hard to look for something and understand that maybe the path that you're on is not the path you need to be on because you have to suck it up a little bit. You have to say, okay, well, maybe I follow this horse. This horse has gone as far in this direction as I choose for it to go. Now I'm going to, you know, steer him to the left or steer him to the right. That takes a certain uh, suffering of the ego, which you have to pass through. Do it now and get away from these costly you know, profit depleting business models that some of you guys are following and do seriously consider a becoming a listing agent and also strongly encouraged for us to have a conversation about you guys joining Julian IDXP. You know, EXP Realty is going to, without a doubt, in our opinions, be the most dominant real estate brokerage on planet earth. And if you want to learn more about EXP, we've made it very easy for you. Just text the letters EXP Text the letters EXP to 47372. And we're going to text, that'll basically send you to a website. And with that website, you can learn not only about EXP, but you can also join or learn about why you probably will want to choose Julie and I to be your sponsors at EXP. So text the letters EXP to 47372. So Julie, I like this this topic. This was really good. Yes. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope they do something with it. The theme has been don't assume when you make those assumptions. And we went through like 10 or 11 of them then you are putting yourself and your clients at risk of you either not getting the listing in the first place, not putting the deal together or losing out on the buyer side. So these all came with what to do about it. So I hope they take action. I always like podcasts where we can tell stories. <laughs> right. I'll have to work on the next one. <laughs> I know. I was going to ask you what you're doing tomorrow, what I we have know. for tomorrow, I but know. I figured you hadn't gotten ready yet. Not yet. We'll get there. Hmm. Oh, by the way, this is a yes. good time for us to suggest you guys, if you have any suggestions or comments or send concerns, them send them in. Te text me directly. I mean, we're never short of ideas, obviously, no. but if there's anything that's pressing that you think that maybe we need to drill down on more. Special requests. Sure. Text me directly at 512 75 5802206. Don't call. I will never answer. Text me at 512-758-0206. And by the way, that goes uh, true as well for those of you who are ready to join EXP and you're ready to choose your sponsor and you uh, and you want Julie and I to be your sponsor. Uh, text me directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.